You're listening to a Southside Baptist Church podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Barker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. I asked Matt if he would to start making his way up here, but I want to pray for him before he comes and speaks to all of us. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you in, in the name of Jesus. The Bible says there's no other name given unto man under heaven by which men can be saved than in the name of Jesus. Lord, we've sung about that name. Think about blind men who Blind Bartimaeus, who said, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy upon me. We think of the widow of Nain as she walked with her only son who was being buried. And Jesus, you touched the coffin, and dear Lord, you raised him up. You are a great God. You are a precious Savior, and we love you, Lord. Lord, a long time ago, I walked into a McAllister's in a meeting, met with a man about homeless ministry, one of our staff. We didn't seem to be getting anywhere, and over to the side of me was a young man who worked in McAllister's who was taking his break, his lunch break. Finally, me and a staff member sat there, a man had left, and all of a sudden this precious young man looked at us and said, hey, I I used to do some homeless ministry in Houston. He pulled up to our table. I had no idea that he would one day be my son-in-law. The father of eight of my grandchildren and a young man who's affected my life. Lord, you're the great God. You orchestrate meetings that change destinies and lives. So, Lord, I pray that you wrap your arms around Matt, that, Lord, you give him a very clear word for all of us. And we pray, dear Lord, that you'll use it for your glory and your honor. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. I, uh, <clears throat> I feel inc- incredibly inadequate <laughs> for these moments. Um, it's so good to be here. I, uh, I have so many amazing memories of how God moved and worked and how God used you in my life uh, to shape me and I'll be forever indebted to you. And I just want to say thank you uh, for letting me be here this morning. It's going to feel a little bit like Bible drills for you guys and I apologize for that. You're going to be like, man, would he just stay on topic And I'm not, and so just know that right now. Um, I struggle with ADD and pray-DD. I don't know if you have that issue, like you're praying, and you're like, oh, Lord, God, what is that going on over there? And so teaching-wise, I do the exact same thing, and so just kind of bear with me, and I trust that the Lord will speak to our hearts. Uh, But I'm coming to you because my conviction is rooted and grounded in a passage of Scripture um, in Proverbs 31. And everybody's like, oh, Proverbs 31, you're going to talk about, you know, a wife of noble character. I'm married to her. But before that, if you have a copy of God's Word, look real quick, and we're going to kind of jump, jump off from there. Proverbs 31 Before we talk about a wife of noble character, I want you to look at verse 8 and 9 because we skip over that and go right to the good stuff, right? We just kind of skip over that and 
go, go right to the meat and kind of lift moms up? Or we guilt moms and be like, you need to be a better mom, you know, whatever that looks like. But uh, in verse 8 and 9 of, of Proverbs 31, it, it, it says this. It's a command to you and I. It says, speak up for those who have no voice. Amen? Speak up for those who have no voice. For the justice of all who are dispossessed. Speak up, judge righteously, and defend the cause of the oppressed and the needy. I want to tell you why I love Southside so much. I want to tell you why you convict me like you do. It's because where I could preach that and teach that in a suburb where everything is just nice and cozy and everybody's just nice and happy and we get together and we sing Kumbaya and we go and make sure that we get to lunch before the Methodists. You're living this out day to day, right? And so you're my heroes in that uh, because you've not abandoned that. You, you've not forgotten that. You're dealing with the mess that that is on a daily basis. And that's a call for all of us and so I just, I want to come alongside this morning talking about family day and talking about orphan care, really not to talk about maybe, maybe so much orphan care as much as have a voice for the voiceless. Whatever that looks like in your life, for the dispossessed and for the oppressed, speak into their life and defend the defenseless. In other words, just keep doing what you're doing in a lot of ways. Because whether you see it or not, you're making a difference. Amen? The bad part about it is most oftentimes, we feel like a failure at this thing, right? My, 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 my single moms, my single parents, most often we feel like a failure, don't we? We feel like, oh my gosh, everything is happening in my life, and I can't keep it all together, and you, 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 you just, you're just trying to make it to the next day. Just keep doing what you're doing. Because I feel like that you're answering the heart of God. You know, the psalmist would write in Psalm 68. He would say this, he would say, sing praises to God and to his name. And didn't we just do that? I mean, isn't that what we just did? We just lifted our hearts up to God and just said, God, you're worthy of the name that you've been given this name above all other names. You're the God of gods. You're the Lord of lords. We worship you. The psalmist would say, sing praises to God and to his name. Sing loud praises to him who rides on the clouds. If that's not an awesome picture of who God is, I mean, that just... His name is the Lord. Rejoice in his presence. And so it's this call for us to worship him. It's this call for us to rejoice in him and to celebrate him. And the psalmist, it's awesome because the psalmist moves right from worship God and who he is to describe God. And he says this, he's the father to the fatherless. He's the defender of widows. This God whose dwelling is holy. And so I just I pray for these moments. All that was free. That has nothing to do with the sermon. I, I, I just 
I just hope to speak encouragement for a moment. And trust. Second Timothy, it says that God's word is living and it's active. And it's able to pierce to the very heart of you and me. And I'm just trusting that God is going to do that. And so I want to speak for a moment about one specific subsection of the voiceless. And that's orphans. And I want to begin by just sharing a couple of numbers with you just so you get a glimpse of the situation. <coughs> as best we can estimate, the number of orphans worldwide is 153 million and counting. 153 million kids that don't know love. No concept. Hundred and fifty-three million kids who half of that number live in abject poverty not knowing the next moment where a meal might come from. So let's put places to those numbers as best we can see. 63 million orphans belong to Asia, specifically China and India. 63 million. In Africa, 53 million. And Brother Jeff shared the number 1.8 million in Zimbabwe alone, a country you're strategically partnered with. Many of these have no opportunity to ever be adopted. They would be what we would call unadoptable whether because of war, whether because of government restriction, or whether because, like in the case of Russia, the government just doesn't care. In fact, when we think about Russia, there's between one and five million orphans. And the reason that we don't know that number is the government doesn't care enough about the orphan to find out what that number is. So we're just guessing. Hopeless. No one's speaking up for them. No one chasing after them. No one telling them that they matter. No one telling them that they're cared for. No one providing for them. Let's bring it a little close to home. In the United States, there are 500,000 plus children in the foster care system currently. We're told that in the next three years, that number could potentially double. It's growing every year. Of those children that are waiting in the foster care system, 30,000 of those children will age out of foster care this year without a family. 30,000 this year. In Mississippi... There's more than 1,200 kids waiting for families. <laughs> that number's growing. And the reality is, is that for you and I, I don't know about you. <coughs> Maybe you're into numbers, right? 
I was never into numbers. That's why I studied sociology. <coughs> I was like, man, anything that I could get away from. <coughs> Here I am, choked up and dying. <clears throat> I was never into numbers. What I was into is stories. Uh, anybody like that? Just show of hands. Like a story matters more than a number. Come on, like just give me a hand. Let me know because if you say no, I'm going to change this whole thing up. Okay, so, all right. So I was never, I was never into numbers, but I am into stories. So I'm going to tell you about a kid that grew up as a slave. And that guy grew up in a life, oh man, you, Tatindababa, that, um, that kid grew up hopeless. Trying to figure everything in his life out and nothing made sense to him. And he ran to all the wrong places trying to find meaning and purpose, trying to find love. Drugs, popularity, possessions. He just ran to these things and he just found himself over and over and over Hopeless, helpless, abandoned, orphaned, alone. And he ran from thing to thing and from person to person going, do you love me? I mean, do you, you love me? No? You love me? I mean, do you, do you love you? You don't love me. And he could never find the answer. He could never find the love that he was looking for. Years and years and years he spent. Until one day he met a father. And one day he found a family. And over the course of this kid's life, all of the helplessness and all of the hopelessness, moment by moment, this father is beginning to take away and to replace with truth that he matters, with truth that he has a purpose, with truth that he has value, that he means something, that he's loved, that he's cared for, that he's provided for, that all that the father has is his. The story of that kid, that slave, is my story. And your story, if you've trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because what the Bible says about you and I is that we are slaves to ourselves, we're slaves to sin. And the whole time, don't get me wrong, the whole time, God is saying to you and saying to me, I love you and I'm chasing after you and I made you and you have meaning and you have purpose and you have value and I gave my only son so that you could spend forever with me. I love you. And for 19 years of my life, my response to God was, I love me too. I was a slave to me and my and to mine until the day that my eyes were opened to the love of God. And I realized that I am not an orphan. In fact, in John 14, 18, Jesus makes this amazing promise to you and to me. He says, I'm not going to abandon you as orphans. I'm coming after you. 
And you may not even get this, but adoption is so much a part of your story and you may not have ever thought about that. So what I want to do is I want to just shine a light on the gospel of Jesus Christ and on the goodness of Jesus Christ. I want us to see spiritually that we have been adopted into the family of God, that you and I are no longer, if you've trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, we're no longer slaves to sin but we're sons and daughters of the King. And the Bible says not only are you and I sons and daughters, but we are heirs of all the things that belong to the Lord. And I know what you're saying. I I hope that you've embraced it. I hope that you've said yes to that amazing love. But J.I. Packer made this statement in a book called Knowing God. I know you've read it. Any, John, have you, have you, Don, have you read it? J.I. Packer writes in his book Knowing God, he says this. He says, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity... Find out how much he makes of the thought of his being God's child and having God as his heavenly father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. Father is the Christian name for God. I want to lay that out in the scriptures for you, God willing, in these moments. And then I want to use who you and I are as children of God as the catalyst that propels us to go into a lost and dying world as advocates for the downtrodden, voices for the voiceless, ministers to those who can't find hope and help in this world. And so I want to begin in John chapter 1. And I told you we're going to be jumping around, but just bear with me. And if you get hungry, or if I get too long-winded, will you just right where you're at, give me one of these? Uh, I always trust Amy. Amy who's holding our daughter who's sick right now to kind of give me one of these, but I'm worried that she'll slap Parker Rose, and so I don't want that to happen. <clears throat> let, me, let, me, let me show you your adoption through the gospel. And when I say gospel, what I mean is the good news that God made us that God loves us, that God made a way for us to be a part of His forever family through the death and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And that you and I must individually believe on Christ to trust in the work of Jesus Christ and give our lives to Him. That the Bible says He will change us from the inside out. He will give us a new creation. He will give us His Holy Spirit to make its dwelling in us. This is all the Gospel. He will take us from children of darkness, transfer us into the kingdom of His dear Son, He will forgive us and heal us and restore us, save us. John 1. I want to begin in verse 10. He, Jesus, was in the world 
And the world was created through him, and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own people, and his own people did not receive him. Watch adoption take place right here, verse 12. But to all who received and accepted him, he gave the right to become the children of God. That's you if you've trusted Jesus Christ. You have been brought into the family of God. You are a child of the King. As if that wasn't amazing enough. He says, who were born not of natural descent or the will of the flesh or the will of man, but the will of God. It was God's desire for you to be his child. Before the foundations of the world, God made a way for you to become his child. Don't believe me? Don't, don't turn here, but because I, I want you to go somewhere else, but just hear the word of God over you for a moment. Ephesians 1, verse 4 and 5. Ephesians says of you and I who are saved this morning, even before God made the world, He loved us, and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in His eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into His own family by bringing us to Himself through Jesus Christ. This is what He wanted to do, and it was this that gave Him great pleasure. So the story of your life is you don't have to ask, am I loved? Am I cared for? Does God love me? Does God have a plan? Does he have a purpose for me? All those things are answered in the cross. All that is answered in the cross. You don't have to chase after broken relationships, drugs, alcohol, all the other things that the world affords us that'll never make us whole, that'll only make us feel less and less and less loved and more and more and more alienated from the God who loves us. Before he made anything, he knew you and loved you and desired for you to be a part of his family. He wants to be your eternal heavenly father. The gospel is not you work and earn God's love. You do and then God will do for you. The gospel is that wretched as you are, broken as you are, messed up as you are, God desires you. And he's chasing after you. And some of us, we're still running from him. Some of us, we are not convinced yet of the love of God. Some of us are like, God, you love me. God, you want me to love you, but I love me too much to have any room to love you. I'm just asking, let the gospel open your eyes to the love that God has for you. Receive that and let it change you. I want to camp out for the rest of our time in two passages, but in Galatians 4, if you would turn to Galatians 4. I want to show you this idea of a slave who was saved and declared a son, and not just a son, but an heir of all of the promises of God. Galatians 4, 
Galatians 4, beginning in verse 4. When the fullness of time had come. Some of your Bibles would say, when the right time came. And how many of you, how many of you could the testimony of your life been at just the right time, God? Is that anybody in this room this morning? You have the story of, man, at just the right time, God. I mean, when I was at the end of myself and I had nowhere else to go and there was nowhere else to turn and I had nothing, I mean hopeless, helpless, at just the right time, God. This is the story of my life. Somebody asked me one time what... What was the, the biggest lesson that I've learned from our adoption processes? Processes. We have five biological kids, three adopted kids. The thing that I've learned more than anything else is my brokenness. It's daily... I get a first-hand look at my depravity. Daily, I get a first-hand look at my prejudice. But you adopted kids from an international adoption and blah, blah, blah. Look, I'm no hero. I'm broken. I'm a hot mess. Literally a hot mess. I mean, you see me sweating. (laughs) Like, I'm a broken person. And my brokenness comes out every day. My need for a Savior comes out every day. My need for a new heart and for restoration comes out every day. And stupid stuff I say... In stupid stuff I do, in uncompassion, in blindness or unwillingness to look at the hurt and the pain and the needs of those around me. So don't look at me as a hero because I'm not the hero of the story. The hero of the story is that guy right there. He's sitting up. He's like, oh no. The hero of the story is our kids who daily teach me the gospel by loving kids that for all intents and purposes for all of their life had felt unlovable and find ways to bring them in and find ways to make them feel apart and find ways to, to daily speak into their lives. Do we fight? We fight like it's nobody's business but isn't that what a family does then we make up and then somebody steals somebody's Lego and it's on look look real quick Galatians 4 it says but when the right time came God sent his son At just the right time, God sent His Son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent Him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law. Slaves to our own sinfulness. Slaves to our own depravity. Unable to rescue ourselves. The Gospel's not a pick-yourself-up-by-the-bootstraps message. It's a message of you've got no boots and no bootstraps. You got nothing except Jesus. And Jesus is more than enough. So the story of my life and the story that led us to adopt 
is the story of knowing my sin is great, but my Savior is greater in all areas, in all ways. Not only did God send His Son to buy our freedom, to purchase our salvation, to rescue us from being slaves to our sin, but look what it says, so that He could adopt us as His very own children. And I said this in the men's Bible study, but for the past 20 years, in all of our theological books that are out, so much of the message has been on our justification, our right standing with God. Very little has been written on our adoption as becoming children of God. You were a child of the devil. Now you are a child of God, belonging to God. You were dead and now you're alive. You were blind, but now you can see. You were hopeless. Now you're filled with hope. The metaphor, they just keep going. His desire from eternity past before he made a thing. It's him and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, angels, and you on his mind. Knowing that you and knowing that I are going to be born into sin. Thanks, Adam and Eve. We can't blame them because we chose it ourselves too, didn't we? We chose our own path and did our own thing. Before He created a thing, God had the purpose and the intentionality of creating a people for Himself. People who would be his family for all eternity. He sends his son at just the right time to live a perfect life that we could never live. To die an atoning death. The Bible says that God takes our unrighteousness and placed it on the cross of Jesus Christ, and then through our faith and trust in Jesus, He takes the righteousness of Christ and puts that on us and declares that we're His child. And it's not, it doesn't just stop there. Notice what, what He says. He says, and because we are His children, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. Literally, the Holy Spirit of God makes His dwelling in us. That's why the Bible says that you and I are a temple of the Holy Spirit. We don't belong to ourselves. We were bought with a great price. Therefore, we're to glorify God in all that we do. But he says, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Prompting you and I to refer to the God of the universe as Dad. Daddy. Abba, Father. That's the right that you have. Are you living in that right? The right to call God dad. The right to boldly come before the throne of grace and say, Father, dad. Ho, ho, you're, you're going to meet him at family day when we go downstairs to eat. If the preacher will ever stop preaching. 
God, I can't, man. Um, Ho's just gotten to where when we say the words, I love you, that he'll respond back. For the longest time, Ho-Ho, his only English word that he knew was dad. And so I kid you not, a gazillion times a day, dad, 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 you know, he falls and he's laying on the ground, dad, dad. broken mat would have moments where he would get annoyed by that. You're in America. Come on. You got seven siblings. You should be learning language that I don't want you to know. You know, all of these things. And yet for the longest time, all he could do was just say, Dad. And one day the Lord just hit me. Matt, how many times are you in a place where because of situations or circumstances in your life, all you can do is just say, God, I don't even know what I'm supposed to pray. I don't even know what I'm supposed to say. I don't even know, I don't even know what that looks like. Uh, uh, God, you know. Doesn't that sound a lot like dad, dad, dad? And yet I have a heavenly father that loves for me and made a way for me to call him dad. It's the gospel. And so he's at this place, like he grew up for two and a half years of his life not understanding what love is, not understanding that he had someone in his life that would give anything for him, that would pay a great price for him, that would take him into his arms and would declare to him, all that I have is yours, as with all my other children. The most soul-wrenching part of our whole time in China was going to the orphanage and there's a room and it's just a ton of beds. Probably, probably 50 beds in this one room. Thousand plus kids in this orphanage a handful of caregivers for all those kids. They would literally take them out of their cribs, set them in a high chair, feed them a hot bottle. For a two and a half year old, that's not even filling. Take them out of the chair, go to like a pseudo bath where they really are just wiping them down with a wet rag, setting each one of these kids in a crib, turning off the lights, no one hugging them, no one rocking them. In fact, Ho-Ho, when he sleeps, he takes his middle three fingers and he puts them in his mouth and he holds his arm like this and he rocks himself to sleep because there was no mom or dad to rock him. And so he had to learn how to care for himself. No one there when a child cries, these kids were absolutely quiet because they knew no one was coming. They knew no one was gonna be there 
No one was going to come get them. So it was useless even crying. Now you don't learn that right off the bat. That takes time. And so for Ho-Ho, even now, you come up to that booger and you get him and you just hold into him. And he pushes off your love because he doesn't know how to respond to it. He doesn't know how to say yes to it. It's weird for him. For two and a half years, he's had anything but this. And so when this kind of affection, when this kind of love, when this kind of care, when this stuff comes up, he just doesn't know what to do with it. And isn't that some of us? We talked all the time about God's love this morning, and you just don't know what to do with it. Or maybe we've been modeled by earthly fathers that weren't worth anything. And so we ascribe to our heavenly father, our earthly father's brokenness and shame on us for that. And if that's you, I'm sorry. I just want to say that. I'm sorry for whatever happened in your life. But I want to tell you that before the foundations of the world, God loved you and chose you. He said yes to you before you ever had a chance to say yes to him. And he's been chasing after you, calling for you to be his child. That's what he wanted to do. That's what great, gave him great pleasure. And so who are you in Christ? You're loved. Amen? Who are you in Christ? You're saved. You're rescued. Your eternity is set in stone. You will be a part of God's forever family. Amen to that. Who are you in Christ? You are adopted. God has given you his name and he has said all that he has is yours. You are a child of the king. Who are you in Christ? You're indwelt with the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I won't leave you as orphans. I'm coming after you. Who are you in Christ? You're complete. In time, God's going to show you his meaning and his purpose and his plans for your life, but it's all tied to you growing in your relationship with him through reading his word and through prayer. But you're complete in him. Not that you will be complete, but right now, right where you are, you're a child of the king. You belong to him, and all he has is yours, present tense, right now. That's you. Who are you in Christ? You are justified. You are made right with God. You are redeemed. You've been per purchased. You've been paid for. You're a new creation. The Bible says that your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Who's going to break you out of that? Who's going to take you out of that love? No one. Last verse. Oh God, he's fine. 1 John, 1 John chapter 3, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. My question for you is this, this morning. The question that I have. Do you see 
how very much our Father loves us. That, that's the question for you guys. This is the audience participation part in this. Do we see how much our Father loves us? Thank you, all eight of you. He says, see what great love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. And that's what we are. That's what we are. You're a child of God. That's what you are. And so adoption is part of your story if you're a believer, whether you knew it or not. You say, okay, well that's great, I'm adopted, I belong to the king, everything that he has is mine, that is awesome, Matt, thanks for reminding me of that. But there's also a responsibility to that because guess what? When we leave these doors, all around us are people who are hopeless and helpless, right? All around us are people who are broken and who are trying to find love. They don't even have a clue that God has already displayed the love that He has for them. They don't, it's not even on their radar screen. I challenged our men in Sunday school. I said, you know what? Here's the deal. The reality is, is when we go out these doors in South Jackson, most of these young guys, the gang is going to get them. The streets are going to get them. Unless before that happens, they're rooted and grounded and understand the love that God has for them. That he has a plan and a purpose and that he's the voice for the voiceless. That he will rescue those who are oppressed. That he's a father for the fatherless. That he will plead the cause of the widow. And if they begin to live for something greater than themselves. So how, how do we respond to this? The first way that you respond to understanding your adoption in Christ and how that should affect how you see the down and outs. Would you begin to pray that God would open your eyes to see who you are in Christ? And that as God shows you who you are in Christ, that God will begin to burden you for those around you that are hopelessly without Christ. The more I see what I have in Jesus, the more it compels me to go to others and say, do you not understand what you have in the Father? Do you not understand what is available to you right now? Eternal life, eternal joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All these are things that are given to you in, right now. You have to wait on these. You have to grow into them. They're given to you. Begin to pray. Begin 
to ask God to remind you of the calling that you have. Remember we started off by saying that we're to speak up for those that don't have a voice. That you and I are to do justice for those who are oppressed and to defend the cause of the needy, to defend the cause of those who are hopeless and helpless. Would you begin to pray that God would open your eyes to that? And as you pray that prayer, will you find a way to intervene? Amen? This is the thing. The message is not, okay, everybody, we're motivated that we're adopted by God. Now let's all go adopt because that's not reality. And that's not everybody's calling. Not everyone is called to adoption. Not everyone is called to foster care. But Christians are commanded to speak up for those who have no voice. We're commanded to plead the case of the widow and the orphan. We're told by James that pure and undefiled religion in the eyes of our Heavenly Father is to care for widows and orphans in their time of need and to walk humbly with God. That's a command. It's not an option. Find a way to intervene. Who are those kids on your street that have no father figure? Be dad for them. Spiritual dad. Play ball with them. Go buy them ice cream. Talk to them about life. Help them become men. Moms. Who are those girls around the block that you may need to help them understand that they have value and that they have purpose, that they're not a piece of meat, that they have so much to live for. We can change this whole community. You can change this whole community. Think if everybody understood this message out there, how things would be different, right? Well, how are they going to know if we don't tell them? How are they going to know if we don't model it for them? One way that you can intervene is through adoption. And Amy and I would love to talk to you about what that looks like. And I'm going to tell you something. It is not some glorious thing. It is painful. And it is tough. And that's the good days. And it's messy. Nobody's gonna do. Nobody's gonna do a movie about you, and nobody's gonna write a, a story about you. But some kids who didn't understand what love is are gonna get what love is, Amen. and that's the legacy. Because what they're gonna do, hopefully, is they're gonna go and. Orphan care would be so much rooted and grounded in them that they change the next generation. My wife is cutting me off. She's like, you've got to stop. I'm sorry. Orphan aid. Finding humanitarian, Christian humanitarian efforts like Compassion International, World Vision, or Samaritan's Purse. Take the truth of who you are and whatever that looks like. Maybe for some of you, it means be a part of your family for crying out loud. Don't sacrifice your family on the, you know, on the altar of a job or a career. Train your kids well. Show your kids who they are in Christ. Teach them these truths. Root them and ground them in these truths so they don't chase after other stuff. Fall victim to being slaves to themselves. Slaves to sin. 
I'm going to ask for the band to come up here. As they're coming up, I just ask you where you are right now, just to bow your heads for a moment. And before we go into a response time where we respond to God, your Heavenly Father who loves you and who adopted you, Zephaniah chapter 3 says, For the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty Savior. And there's some of you today that you've never trusted Jesus Christ. You've never said yes to his love. You're like a little ho-ho and you just feel weird about this whole thing and you just keep pushing off his love and you just keep running from thing to thing to thing trying to say, can I find meaning and value and purpose in this and it doesn't work and then you run to the next thing. Would you just stop running? Jesus is a mighty savior and he wants to save someone today. He wants to rescue someone today. He wants to transform someone from being a slave to sin and to make them a son, make them a daughter, make them an heir of his forever family. And if that's you, in just a few moments, Brother Jeff will be up here, and I want you just to come and talk to him. For those of you that are in the trenches single parent families, adoptive families, foster families, messy families. I want you to hold to this promise of Zephaniah 3.17. It says this, it says not only is the Lord God among you and you don't have to fear, he'll never leave you, he'll never forsake you. Not only is he a mighty savior, but what it says for you this morning is this, he will take delight in you with gladness. And that's what he's doing. He's smiling on you right now. In the mess of your life, he's smiling down upon it. And he's saying, thank you for saying yes to your situation. And I am going to use that situation for my glory and for the furtherance of my kingdom. For some of you, you're like, man, I just, I, I like... This whole thing, I, I'm just filled with so much anxiety and I'm trying to keep my family together and everything just feels like it's falling apart. Everything feels like, like I, can't, I can't keep all the plates spinning. I can't keep all the, the balls bouncing. I just, I'm overwhelmed in all of this. Zephaniah tells us, he says, with his love, he will calm all your fears. So for you, what I would pray over you in these moments is that you would over and over and over remind yourself of the love of your Heavenly Father. That you would over and over and over again remind yourself of who you are in Christ, the adoption that you've been given, and that you would allow God to calm your fears with His love. The Bible says that perfect love casts out all fear. And for all of you this morning in the trenches, the most beautiful part of 
this passage in Zephaniah 3.17 is that is, it says that God will rejoice over you with joyful songs. Have you thought very much about the fact that God delights in you and sings over you? I wonder what song that is that he's singing. The God who created everything has joy in you and he sings over you. And so for a few moments, I'm just going to ask the band, they're going to begin playing and they're going to be singing over you. And I want just right where you're at, just as you're kneeling down, as, as, you're, as you're praying to God, just see God in heaven singing over you. Songs of love and compassion and mercy and care and grace and truth and hope and salvation and rescue and deliverance. Songs of victory won. And then will you respond to him, whatever that looks like. Some of you may need to come up here and use the front of this sanctuary as an altar to the Lord. You may need to confess some sins before him. You may need to take somebody across the way and pray with them. But would you respond to God's singing over you by allowing your life to be changed by your heavenly Father. God, this invitation is yours. We are yours. Change us. Move in us. Convince us of these truths. Shape us. Send us out to be lovers of people. Send us out to be missionaries to our homes, missionaries to our family and friends and co-workers. Help us to go to the widow. Help us to go to the orphan. Help us to go to the oppressed with the message that they have a father who loves them and a family who will gather around them and will live with them for eternity and that all that you have is theirs. And so help us to respond to you. In Jesus' name, and all God's people say,